You know, the resurrection of Jesus has changed history in important ways and in, in very small ways. Every night before I go to bed, or most nights before I go to bed, I have a peanut butter and strawberry jelly sandwich. My doctor told me to do it. He said it would be good for my heart. If you like peanut butter sandwiches like I do, we can thank George Washington Carver, fellow Missourian. Although he didn't invent peanut butter, he is largely credited with making it so popular. He was a great scientist, great thinker, great inventor. And whenever he was asked about one of his accomplishments, he always gave credit to his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I can draw, I think, a dotted line between my peanut butter and strawberry jelly sandwiches to the resurrection of Jesus. You can tie business, uh, uh, you can tie medicine, uh, philanthropy, um, all have been changed by the resurrection of Christ. History has been changed. Uh, but also people's lives have been changed by the resurrection, starting with the friends and family and disciples of Jesus who first discovered the empty tomb. And then those ladies went back to the uh, 11 disciples and told them those 11 their lives were changed. The religious leaders who were largely responsible for crucifying Jesus, their lives were changed by the resurrection. And then by the time the last book of Scripture was written, the, the people living inside the Roman Empire, their lives were changed because the seeds of Jesus' resurrection had been sown from one end to the other. And it also changes our lives. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, explains some of the ways that our lives are changed because of the resurrection of Jesus. And that's what I wanted us to read today. So if you have a copy of Scripture, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So it says, because of the mercy of God, he's caused us to be born again into a living hope. Now, we use the word hope in all sorts of ways. I hope they put barbecue sauce in my Chick-fil-A bag. We hope it's not going to rain. We hope there's something good to watch on TV tonight. We also use it for important words, but words that are not consistent. We hope they are going to find a vaccine for this, this virus. It's important. It's a good hope. But it, 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 it waxes and wanes depending on the, the news of the day. Some information causes our hope to soar. They are going to find a cure and a vaccine for this. And in other days, it, it plummets. We hope that the price of oil will increase. And so Houston's economy will be more secure. And depending on what you've read or what you've heard, that hope can soar or that hope can plummet. But we've been born again into a living hope. That hope is alive, it is consistent. Why? Because it's filled with the resurrected life of Christ. So look what it says next. Into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we can have lots of confidence and lots of hope in Jesus' resurrection. Like in Acts chapter 2, it's the first time that someone has, in an organized way, talked about the resurrection of Jesus with a large group of people. Peter steps up and he preaches a sermon to thousands of people about the resurrection. Now what's interesting is that sermon was given in Jerusalem. Jesus had been buried in Jerusalem. So if one of those people wanted to verify for themselves, all they had to go and, and, and do was to 
to look inside the tomb where Jesus had been uh, laid to rest, to see that his body was not in there. Now, one of the theories from the first day of Jesus' resurrection and, and throughout history has been that the disciples stole the body of Jesus. Right? What we know from history and, and from the scripture that all of the disciples were persecuted and most of them were martyred. Now, lots of people are martyred for their faith. But it's reasonable to think that at some point, if the disciples had been lying about the resurrection, if they had stolen the body of Jesus and hidden it somewhere, buried it secretly, and then went and promoted a lie for the rest of their lives, at some point in the middle of that persecution, under the threat of life, they would have said, hold on just a second, we, yeah, we didn't see it, we made all of it up, we hid the body, but they didn't. They, they went to their death. Why? Because they believed with all of their heart that they had seen with their own physical eyes the resurrected Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul is, is making a list of all of the people who had seen Jesus resurrected. And at the end of that list, he says, you know, many of these people are still alive. So if you wanted to go and verify it, you could. You could talk to one of the eyewitnesses. And this bedrock of Jesus' resurrection, it, it gives us living hope filled with the life of Christ. Verse 4, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Now, one of our quarantine highlights or lowlights, depending on your perspective, last week we were all in our living room, and, and I think maybe we were playing Uno together. And Willa was not playing, but she had a, a, a bag of cheese cubes. And, and, and all of a sudden we hear her start spitting them out and, and making this awful gagging noise. And we went over to see what had happened, and, and the cheese inside the bag was moldy. So either parent fail, uh, or I would like to pass the blame on to Kroger. It's Kroger fail, H-E-B, H-E-B fail. And not to be crude, but this is exactly the picture that Peter is using here, because he even uses food language. It will never perish. It will never spoil or fade. This inheritance that we have coming it is secure. It is protected. It is in a vault. And, and this inheritance that it's talking about in the book of Galatians, chapter 5, it says that we're going to inherit the kingdom of God. In Romans chapter 8, it says that we will co-inherit with Christ himself. In Ephesians chapter 1, this inheritance is called glorious. And in Colossians chapter 3, it's mentioned as a reward. And it will last forever. This is what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 6, when he says, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy, where thieves can't break in and steal. We have an inheritance coming to us. And God has gone to great lengths to offer us something eternal and everlasting. And yet, what do we do? We are vehement in our desire for the temporary. But we have an inheritance coming to us that is anything but temporary. But many of us, we don't think about it because we can't see it. And Peter mentions that this inheritance is kept in heaven for us. We draw a hard line in between heaven and earth 
If you read the Gospels, it seems like Jesus blurred that line, that maybe the two were closer than we might imagine. But when God has said it, then it is fact and not fantasy. We see this in the Old Testament. The other place that the word inheritance is used the most is in a reference to the promised land. God takes Abraham, the patriarch, up on a mountain and he says, I want you to look out and as far as your eye can see, all of this land is going to belong to you and your descendants. Now, Abraham doesn't immediately take possession of it and neither do his descendants. And yet because God had said it, it was fact. It was a done deal. In our culture, we make loose plans now. So we could all decide that on Friday we're going to meet up, we're going to have a Zoom get-together. We could put that on our calendar today. But we know that we're not deciding today whether we're going to do that. We'll decide on Friday if we're going to join in on that Zoom friend call. Do we feel like it? What else do we have going on? Did something else pop up? We give our loose word, our maybe, but God... When he says it, it's done. God said to Abraham, this land of promise, it belongs to you and it belongs to your descendants. Done. And God has said through his word that we have an inheritance coming to us that cannot spoil, perish, or fade. It's done. It's in the bank. It's in the vault. It is there for us. Kept in heaven. Verse 5. who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So in the meantime, before we've received this inheritance, we're being shielded by God's power. Now what's interesting is the people that Peter is writing to, they are suffering. We know that from verse 6. It says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief, in all kinds of trials. They were suffering. We are suffering. It's hard to imagine that we right now are being shielded by God's power. The Israelites could have said the same thing. God had made them a promise. He had given them an inheritance. This is the land that you will inherit it. But Abraham's descendants don't immediately take possession of it. In fact, those descendants end up as captives in Egypt. Once they're rescued from slavery in Egypt, what happens? Pharaoh's army pursues them. Then they get trapped between Pharaoh's army and the Red Sea. God splits the Red Sea. They walk across on dry land. You would think, problem over. Now God's really going to start shielding us. But what happens? They realize, we're in the desert. We don't have any water out here. And then they realize, we're in the desert. We don't have any food out here. And then they get to the edge of that land of promise. They send in spies. And what report do the spies bring back? We're never going to have this land. There are people living in it. And they're living in well-fortified cities. And these people are huge. They seem like giants to us. But I think an important lesson for all of us is that God does not so much shield from things. He shields us toward something. You can imagine being in a battle and arrows just everywhere. But being surrounded by soldiers with shields moving forward. 
God shielded the Israelites to the promised land, and then they received it. And what is God shielding us towards? A salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. What's he talking about? He's talking about when Jesus returns. God is shielding his people to the moment when Christ returns and we receive that inheritance. In Acts chapter 1, it tells a story about how about 40 days after Jesus had been resurrected from the dead, he took them up on the Mount of Olives and he ascended into heaven. And as they were watching him disappear into the clouds, two angels appeared next to them and, and said, in the same way that you've seen him go, he will return again. Meaning, Jesus is going to return to the hill known as the Mount of Olives outside of, of Jerusalem. I was supposed to get on a plane this week and, and head to Jerusalem, to, to Israel, to do a tour of the Holy Land. To say I was excited was is the world's greatest understatement, uh, the top of the bucket list. And leading up to the trip, uh, before all this stuff started to happen, I would say a half-joking prayer that it would be so great if Christ would just meet me in Jerusalem because the scripture tells us he's going to return to the Mount of Olives. I was going to be at the Mount of Olives on one of the days, and wouldn't it just be great if when he returned, I was there? I said that in a half-joking way, and and even though I'm not going to get to go there, my prayers more and more are that he would return there. Because what we really need more than a vaccine and cure is for death and sickness to just be done away with forever. And what we need more than the economy to, to rebound is the devil and all of his schemes to finally and forever be put underneath the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. What we need more than something temporary is for Christ to return. And so this Easter, I, I just feel really inspired to begin to live a lifestyle where I have one eye on the empty tomb of Jesus and the other eye on the Jerusalem sky. One eye on his resurrection and the other eye on his impending return. And I think if I can live with those two things in view, and you can live with those two things in view, and the inheritance that we will receive, then we will begin to experience that living hope. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your mercy, which has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we thank you now for the inheritance that is waiting for us in heaven. Thank you that you're holding it secure. And Jesus, we do ask for you to return, to take everything that is broken in our world and make it right permanently for you to bring that inheritance with you. We ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.